I'm Sherry Sylvester, and this is Ninth in Congress. Today, I want to examine a question that is frequently discussed among Texas conservative policy advocates. Just how bad is the Texas media? And does it matter? I've worked on conservative policies and politics for almost two decades in Texas, and I've seen again and again that as bad as they are, Texas conservative issues will get better play in the New York Times and the Washington Post than they do in the local media. Texas has a long history of media bias. In the 1980s, Fort Worth Star-Telegram columnist the late Molly Ivins compared Texas Republicans to the followers of David Koresh. Ivins is frequently lauded as a Texas media saint. In the 1990s, disgraced CBS anchor Dan Rather, also a Texan, conspired with a group of Dallas Morning News reporters to frame George W. Bush with the so-called fake but accurate documents about his time in the Texas National Guard. Rather continues to be featured as a star at Texas Tribune media events. More recently, it was the Texas press that made Beto O'Rourke a star, pushing his fundraising and driving free media. Once he lost its first Texas election and hit the national stage, it took the national press corps about a week to figure out he didn't have a clue about policy or much else. Today, I'm going to talk with two of my colleagues here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation about the dozens of news stories where the Texas media creates their own narrative while ignoring the views of the conservative majority of Texas. They push out daily news reports that portray our state as a bunch of backward, dull-minded, racist, sexist, whateverists, never explaining why hundreds of people move here every day. Brian Phillips is a media strategist who has dealt with both national and Texas media, directing communications for U.S. Senator Mike Lee of Utah and our own Ted Cruz. He's also worked on policy communication efforts with the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C. He's currently the Chief Communications Officer here at TPPF. Sam Pohl has worked on political campaigns in both Texas and Florida and formerly served as communication director for the Republican Party of Texas, the largest GOP operation in the country. Sam is currently director of engagement here at TPPF. Welcome to Ninth and Congress, guys. <laughs> right. Excited to be on the show. Us. Thanks for being on. Tell me that we've got a news hook here. We've got the story still playing at Texas A&M, who tried to revive their journalism school with Kathleen McElroy. And immediately, the conservative press pointed out that McElroy had said that we can't cover both sides of the news anymore mm -hmm. because one side is illegitimate. Mm -hmm. That surprise you? You know, this is the thing that has gotten the, the bee in my bonnet uh, for the last few years is, you know, 10 years ago when I was working on Capitol Hill, you know, we, you knew that the, the, the journalists were left of center, that they didn't share your worldview. But we always asked and said, look, wrapped in your big, long, you know, liberal screed, can you at least get our part right? Can you at least, you know, be accurate in terms of describing how we see the world, what we see the problems are and what our solutions are? And, you know, the, the one and a half paragraphs that you're going to give us, at least get that part right. Well, about five years ago, somebody up there at the New York Times or the Washington Post or wherever decided that as long as that they, they could connect 
our worldview and our policy solutions to something that they could consider racist or homophobic or sexist, as you said, that they no longer had an obligation to put that in their paper because they're not going to, you know, push forward on that. So if you support, you know, vouchers or, you know, if you think that, you know, tax cuts are good, well, those are all racist policies and we don't have to, we don't have to accurately cover it anymore. And it really has, you know, for me, um, that, that really has started the, you know, the, the descent of the mainstream media into something that is a, of absolutely no value at all that now you have sort of the balkanization of media where everybody just sort of runs to whichever media outlet um, uh, ha- shares their worldview or validates their worldview and then you don't really get any news anymore you certainly don't get any um, public debate uh, over the issues where people who don't know these issues can actually learn something what do you think sam I think Brian's exactly right. I mean, you've got <laughs> what I would even say is just is just lazy writing. You've gone from a desire to actually actively find out why the other side is motivated, motivated, and I say other side to find out why both sides of an issue are motivated to support what they're supporting. And uh, nowadays, like Brian said, everything's racist that they disagree with, and they'll figure out some way, even if it's ten steps removed, to to connect it to racism. And it's just again, it's just lazy writing. Unfortunately, and it's always I'm always trying to figure out where these things come from. And I remember when Al Gore stated that we should that reporters should just stop writing about people that disagreed with climate change. (laughs) So we didn't, you know, the scientists just shut those down. Mm -hmm. And then was it last year? The L.A. Times came out with that story about uh, criticizing reporters who did both siderism, Mm -hmm. what they call both siderism. Mm -hmm. You don't have to include uh, the other side. And so it's interesting to me, we're here at Ninth in Congress. We're policy advocates. We're pushing conservative policy. Much of the mainstream media is up at Tenth in Congress. <laughs> uh, it seems to me they're policy advocates, yeah, sure. and they're they're pushing the other side. Uh, yeah, I mean, I tell Absolutely. people all the time, everybody just wears now. Everybody just wears a jersey. Like, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's actually easier than, you know, to see the folks who clearly have a particular bent. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's National Review. They're a media outlet. They're clearly mm-hmm. conservative. There used to be The Nation. I don't even know if they're still around anymore. But they were left of center. Uh, they were liberal. Um, and everybody knew it. And it's fine. It's, it's the, it's, it's the um, perception or, they're, they're, you know, that they're mainstream media, that they're, you know, that they're objective or that they're telling these stories to, uh, to inform the people. You know, I honestly, at, at this point i just assume that everybody that's in the media is left of center and i just you know and you just sort of react accordingly or when you read their stories you just know that you're only going to get one side of it or that you know the the right and the conservatives generally are not going to be accurately represented and you just sort of proceed with that you know with with that understanding when you start reading the Dallas Morning News or the Houston Chronicle and and there's a there's a going narrative but you know you're out on the street you you, you guys are in these conversations all the time let's just talk for a minute for people where does the news come from how does a story get written a guy or a woman is out here walking from 10th and Congress up mm-hmm. to the Capitol mm-hmm. runs into a lobbyist or a Democrat, mm-hmm. maybe one of us, but they're probably not talking to us. Mm-mm. Usually, tuck and, their head and walk right past. It seems like. 
and they get an idea. Well, I feel like sometimes maybe, you know, you would know a little bit better than us, especially, you know, being here at TBPF, because we generally get called after the story's been written. Right. Right. And um, and so I, and but I don't know. I mean, I talked to my friends um, up at the up at the Capitol and, you know, they're not working with reporters on stories the way that the Democrats do. <laughs> um, and so I generally I think that's probably how it happens is that, you know, they have a, a more symbiotic relationship uh, because they see the world in the same way. And so they can make these pitches, and those pitches are are, are more attractive to um, uh, to the the left because that's a story that they want to pursue because it validates a worldview that they have. Um, so I think maybe that's how the stories uh, start. But we spend a lot of effort. Let's. I want to talk about a bunch of media narratives that uh, that we read every day that are wrong, and we spend a lot of effort. Uh, here at TPPF, with starting with the Canon online in the morning, with newsletters all day to get out accurate news, and and looking at where we think the other side is coming from. Let's just talk about the border. <laughs> yeah, Sam. Ooh, let's yeah, just that, talk that, about that the border. Little, little bitty issue uh, going right. on the border. Well, first of all, there was no problem at the border. What a couple of years ago, it was all good, taken <laughs> care of, right? Uh, and of course, that narrative was not challenged. People who live down there have no problems? Exactly. They're all happy. You know, uh, just to, to name drop, Congressman uh, Cuellar, he was happy with it, even mm-hmm. though he was out in the media constantly saying, hey, there's a problem. We need we need to fix this. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the media just kind of let it slide. You know, up in D.C., they say there's no problem. And they said, yeah, the White House confirmed there's no problem. We're all good. They didn't take the time to go to the border and say, man, there's a lot of people that are crossing every single day. So they're not doing the, the extra work. And then, of course, you know, they would say that uh, folks on the right were crying wolf when they're saying, hey, there's a problem. We need to fix this. There's a fentanyl problem. There's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, thousands of people crossing at each port of entry every single day. And that's not even including the thousands and thousands of gotaways that we're not even seeing. You know, so it's just, <laughs> gosh, the border is such a big issue. <laughs> you know, they, they just aren't really accepting that there's an issue. And anyone who says that we need to secure the border, we need to make sure that, um, you know, we know who's coming in here. Well, they immediately turn on, on you know, we'll just say conservatives uh, or Republicans and say that they're anti-immigrant and that they hate people, they're racist, like Brian alluded to earlier. It's just a lazy argument that doesn't require any thought. And of course, it's not that Republicans or conservatives are racist. It's that we want to know what's going on down there. We want to be able to secure our borders, be a sovereign country. Right. It's 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 frustrating because the media's primary narrative on the border is that the migrants are being mistreated. You know, first, second and third. That's the story that the media wants to tell. Now, the story that the reality that we're all experiencing is, you know, in in a sense, you know, we while we want to be compassionate to the migrants, the fact is, is that there's a lot of border crisis that's going on. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of, um, uh, you know, destruction to those communities that's happening. There's a lot of stories about why the border is not secure. There's obviously Mm -hmm. the cartel violence. We're trying to promote, or not promote, but we're trying to expose the connections between the cartels and the Mexican elites over there, including the government. And there's lots of stories, but the one that the Texas press will report on, you know, nine times out of 10 is mistreatment or alleged mistreatment of the migrants while ignoring all of the realities um, and and illuminating those for the rest of of, uh, of Texans. They just want to f- completely focus 
focus on how the migrants are being treated, whether it's once they're in custody or once they uh, come to the border, because that's the narrative that they mm -hmm. want to portray, is that what's going on at the border is that you have this mean old Governor Abbott uh, that is mistreating, uh, the, uh, mistreating the migrants for the purposes of making Republicans and conservatives look mm -hmm. bad and trying to affect policy in that direction. And, and to that point, and I apologize for jumping no. in, something that was particularly frustrating when, when I worked at the Texas GOP was um, under President Trump's uh, tenure as president, um, it was always kids in cages and look how horrid the government is to these, these children and they are just awful. Well, nowadays it's, well, these kids are being treated well, they're in detention centers and they'll be taken care of. And I mean, talk about framing an issue completely yeah. wrong. Or it just goes away. There's no more exactly. kids in cages. Exactly. You know? Well, and, and, to, and to underscore my thesis, which may or may not be right, we got better coverage uh, once they move the migrants into the blue cities. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then Absolutely. you get to see what, what the kinds of things that have been happening in South Texas. There's no infrastructure. Mm -hmm. There's no place for people to sleep. Mm -hmm. There's not enough schools. There's yeah. not enough hospitals. All Once that began to be experienced in, in the East, mm -hmm. then you get a little bit different story. But still, the Texas press has not translated it down no. here. No. What do you think it's like in Brownsville if New York City can't handle it? Oh, yeah. And I looked at the numbers today. They've, they've received... New York City has received less than a th less than eleven thousand migrants total from the buses. <laughs> less than eleven thousand. That's an afternoon practically on some days uh, when when the problem was at its worst uh, in some of those communities. And so just imagine again. And they're not you know Brownsville is not New York City. You know the Eagle Pass is not New York City. They do right. not have the resources to to take these folks. Um, and Texas is running out of resources. Frankly, we're allocating billions of our state you know collected uh, tax dollars in order to handle this problem and so just you know just imagine but back to the press you know if this was a if the roles were reversed here and i hate the whataboutism and whatever right, yeah. what if but but that's kind of makes the point if you had some republican mayor saying can you believe you know in in six months we've had to deal with these eleven thousand migrants and you had some democratic governor who was dealing with hundreds of thousands of them every single month you don't think that the press would be jumping on that story every single day calling them a hypocrite um, of course they would because again their their purpose here they're they're not they're not particularly interested in in telling the story to get to some solution. They're only using it as a way to frame up uh, and attack the Republican politicians who are in charge in in Texas. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a couple of issues that are closer to uh, that. That well, the, the border, of course, is a priority for us, but also like school choice mm. and property taxes. It seems to me that in the mainstream media, the mainstream Texas media, you never get but one side of that story. We've not had, if, if we've had them, I've missed them, stories on the performance of uh, uh, minority kids in public schools, mm -hmm. just just incredible. And uh, you, you just don't hear that. We don't hear the, the waiting line stories. You do, all you hear is the uh, phony narrative that we're trying to privatize public mm -hmm. schools. It's just, and I don't know if that's in there we're we're up against you know an organized media machine, which is the the teachers union. Mm -hmm. So, well, I think that's I think you alluded to it perfectly. I mean, by and large, they're getting their talking points from the teachers union, saying school choice is going to destroy public schools. I mean, that is that is the company line, and they will not stray away from it. Doesn't matter what poll comes out that shows parents want choice. They want to know that their children are getting the right education to be prepared. It doesn't matter that uh, the governor, lieutenant governor, everyone up at the Capitol has said, hey, we're not trying to destroy public schools. We're trying to make sure that, again, 
children are prepared to be successful in life, and um, they just won't stray away from it. And of course, we're a, we're a think tank. We do a lot of research. We have research uh, that shows that this is good for schools. This is good for better for students. You have other states like Arizona that have demonstrated that it works. It doesn't destroy public schools. And of course, the media says, ah, you know, those are those aren't Texas. We don't like those stories. We're going to stick with it's going to destroy public schools. I don't think they can even hear it. Mm-hmm. I remember on a different debate uh, in 2017 when we were debating the Women's uh, Privacy Act, the, which mm-hmm. the press called the bathroom bill, mm-hmm. and the Texas Tribune live tweeted the debate and uh, on the Senate floor and. Uh, Senator Colquhorst said, this is the women's rights issue of our time. Mm. There were 120 tweets in that live tweet. Twelve of those tweets were from the Republicans. Every Republican spoke on the bill. Can you imagine a senior Republican like Colquhorst saying, making a statement like, women's rights movement over time. And when I went and confronted the reporter, she swore to me that she was not biased. (laughs) And I, and I think she didn't even hear it. So when that, when the teachers union representative told the public education committee that it didn't matter how much money we gave them, it didn't matter they would still oppose school choice. I think they just don't hear that. Yeah, yeah. You know, what, really if they're not completely ignoring us, the other tactic is is to uh, assign you know, ulterior motives, you know, hidden motives to what we do in the school choice debate. Um, you know, there's tons of research out there. I mean, you've got 33 states that have some form of school choice programs. Not one of them, since passing their school choice programs, has ever repealed it. Anybody who's gone through school choice and they've seen the results of it, most states are expanding it. You know, so there's all this research defending that that's you know. That school choice and even vouchers. I mean, actual voucher programs. Uh, people have expanded those. You would, you know, you would think that that would add to the debate and to the context. But, but they don't. They don't want to report on any of that. What they report on is, oh, the ulterior motives are you want to privatize education, whatever the heck that means, or you want to funnel dollars. You know, no, we don't sit around. I've never sat around in any meeting of any kind, private or public or otherwise, and talked about how do we how do we funnel public education dollars into private school. I mean, it's just it's just complete nonsense uh, and so you know in t- to, the, to the extent that they even consider our approach or our philosophy on a particular issue like school choice um, they, they can't they can't possibly believe that there's any legitimate purpose for it and that in fact there's got to be all these ulterior motives or you know getting religion in schools or whatever their their bo- various boogeymans that there are of course there's no evidence of that um, unless they find some you know extreme comment from somebody or they take it out of context and then and use yeah. it to validate their opinion. I mean, there's all these tactics that yeah. are all in the name of, all in the pursuit of, of validating a narrative that they're putting out. And if you have a narrative that you're trying to put out and you're ignoring evidence that contradicts or confounds that narrative or that framing, that is the textbook definition of propaganda. It, it's, it's total that. And I wonder why they sign on to this. It's interesting to me why... That that reporters, you know, who are, are not very well paid generally, except if you work for the Texas Tribune, but you know they do this. And 
and you only have a few jobs. One is to ask some questions. You know, I wonder why they, they know how bad the schools are and they don't make a connection. Uh, and it, it's, uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's incredible to me. You see it also on uh, uh, property taxes. The property tax one is actually pretty interesting. I, you know, I, the fact is the Democrats had no solution. Right. Ever. There was, Never. you know, there, there, there was certainly the food fight between the Senate and the House, but that was between leadership and Republicans. And I was just waiting for the like, what is the it, it literally wasn't until like the second to like almost the last day of the second special session <laughs> before a single Democrat stood up and said, here's our proposal on property tax. And half of it wasn't even related to property tax. They had teacher pay in there and like all these other, you know, Democrat wish lists. And so, you know, I think that the Democrats, other than, you know, covering kind of the back and forth between the House and the Senate, didn't really have a narrative because there were no talking points coming from the Democrats on what they were for and what they supported. Uh, so in that instance, you know, they, they didn't really know what to say because because they weren't being told what to say. And they had always believed. I mean, I, I think in I used to talk with Ross Ramsley at the Texas Tribune about the polling that they did. And he always believed that taxpayers didn't understand what we were proposing mm. about property taxes. Mm -hmm. Because if we did, if they did, they wouldn't like it. Yeah, they would uh, hate that if but, their property taxes were reduced. That would but be terrible. So think in, of, insults and condescension. Great. Right, exactly. <laughs> think what we get. Have you ever read a profile in any of the major papers or seen anything on major TV about property taxes and older people and being driven out of their home? Mm -hmm. And yet, I believe I've probably read profiles of every trans kid in the state. <laughs> yeah. Because we want to know the, those stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, but not the stories of how the little girls felt when the boy that they used to go to school with is now a girl and in their restroom mm -hmm. or on their sports team. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I mean, it's been interesting to me to watch Texas and, and the American press, and the European press says this, actually, because the Europeans have, have backed, off against, uh, backed off from... Uh, gender-affirming care, so-called gender-affirming care, and puberty blockers, and unwanted surgeries. And, and our colleague Andrew Brown has been all over this. Mm -hmm. Closed down in England, closed down in France, all the Scandinavian countries yeah. backed off it. Mm -hmm. And yet here in America, to a large extent, and certainly in Texas, it's like that hasn't even happened. It's not even controversial. Right. Uh, I mean... A couple things. Number, number one, I, I, Andrew talks about this often. We are a couple of years and probably about 10 years behind a lot of those European countries uh, on on um, so-called gender-affirming care, mm -hmm. which, quite frankly, that's that's how it's portrayed in the media. But really, it's mutilating children as an experiment. It's, right. it's wild um, and unacceptable. I sh should clarify, it's unacceptable. <laughs> um, but thankfully, it was banned. But um, yeah, the media did so many, so many, and uh, just ad nauseum uh, profiles of these these folks that wanted to transition and just lauded them as heroes. Um, but and even at our policy uh, policy summit, got a new name I still need to remember. Um, there was a, so they largely ignored those that detransitioned, that realized it was a huge mistake, and that you know uh, they're going to have bone density problems, that they will never, never be able to have children, and so many other issues. 
And during our policy summit, we had a detransitioner on a uh, on a panel talking about how hard their life is now because they were talked into having this gender affirming care, and of course realized you know as they got a little older it was a terrible decision. It's irreversible now, and they're having to live with those consequences. Yeah. Well, there was a particular reporter that was there that was tweeting the whole thing about how horrible our stance was. And then when this person, the the detransitioner, got up to speak, there was a sudden lull for about 10 minutes in tweets, not a single tweet. And so, like you said, they're just pushing a narrative and highlighting only one side of the issue because they want to frame it up as these folks are heroes for taking this on, but obviously don't want to talk about the other side, the, the repercussions of, of, uh, of transitioning. Um, it's, again, they're, they're setting their, their narrative and they're sticking to it. And I, my question is why? Like, what is where you know where was the memo that was sent out about this issue? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's an entire there's an entire body growing and and frankly um, incredibly compelling body of evidence research on this that, that as you mentioned that has happened in Europe and not one mention. Not one mention of this in any of the stories that ever covered this from any of our major newspapers. Just ignored. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a major reason why these entire countries, these aren't, you know, just movements or, you know, one party or such is doing this. I mean, entire countries are Mm -hmm. voting for this. The the leaders of these countries are pushing back and they're closing down these clinics uh, that are doing it. Not one mention in any of these stories that, that there is still, that there is actual research and science to demonstrate that there are uh, irrevocable, damaging, uh, physical, emotional, psychological issues uh, with forcing kids or putting kids, you know, a- a- along this path. Not a single minute. That is incredible to me that, that they didn't yeah. even try, that, they, that, that there wasn't even at the bottom of the article. Because, again, that kind of thing would contradict and confound the, the particular position that they're trying to advance. And we just have to call that what it is. It's propaganda. There's no... There's there's no informing the public of this. I mean, even this idea of gender affirming care, that's not a medical thing. I mean, as our <laughs> as our friend mm-hmm. uh, Representative Oliverson says, there's no affirming in medicine. Like you go into the doctor, you say, I've got a pain in my leg. They do some tests and they have a diagnosis. They confirm <laughs> what the issue is and then they get you better. They don't affirm anything um, and, and say, you know, and, and, and then care. I mean, we're not talking about a care. You know, somebody comes in and says, or somebody has some kind of disorder, you work to, to, to solve the problem. You don't affirm the problem and then, and then, and then push them towards, you know, more of it. Um, so even this, that term itself is so, uh, Orwellian, uh, I hate to use that overused term, but it really is. I mean, that captures the definition of Orwellian is that they refuse, uh, to, to, to report anything that could contradict or confound their narratives. And that's just what it is. It's, it's pure propaganda, which again, can get you all excited and get you hot and bothered and say, why don't we have an objective media anymore? And you can get upset about that and right. you, can, you can mourn the loss. And I think a few years ago, I think I'd finally mourn the loss of an objective media where I thought conservatives could have a fair shake in a place like the New York Times or even the Dallas Morning News. Uh, but you just get over it. And then, and then you know, I know later we're going to talk about solutions, but that's kind of what you have to do in order to deal with it. You can either just say, well, I guess I'm just going to you know get out of the business altogether, or you can come up with solutions right. to try and still get your message out to the people. And as you know, because it's your work every day, I mean, we also still have to challenge it. We've got to mm-hmm. call them on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, because some of the, some things are, are really detrimental. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Houston Chronicle won a Pulitzer Prize yeah. 
charging that Texas was engaged in voter suppression, saying that nothing had changed. Their quote, I'm not sure I can do it exactly. In the 1900s, there were these white leagues, which is what kept black people from voting. Mm. Those were Democrats, by the way. <laughs> left that part out of <laughs> the story. Left that part out. <laughs> and they said that the Republicans who control the state today are no different than those people. They just have laser pointers. So their challenge is that are requiring photo voter ID, which in Texas and every other state has increased voter turnout, mm -hmm. is a voter suppression effort. Uh, the fact that 95%, one poll, the Texas Business Association poll found that 95% of people say it's easy to vote in Texas. Right. Mm -hmm. And 95% of people support voter ID right. because it, because everybody knows that in order to have, uh, in order to have um, a just, or um, uh, good elections or, you know, um, good results in elections, you have to demonstrate that you are the person you say they are and that you're legally allowed to vote in that election, right? Because if I don't live in that district, I shouldn't be able to weigh in on who is and who mm -hmm. is not. So I have to prove that I'm legally allowed, that I am who I say I am, and I'm legally allowed to vote in that election. And an ID is a simple and easy way to do that, which is why 95% of people all support it. So, yeah. And it's, it's, it's uh, just such a misunderstanding. I, don't know, I mean, uh, such misinformation. So it's that and gerrymandering, which if you read the Texas press, they seem to think that gerrymandering was invented in Texas, not named after John Adams' buddy, Eldridge Jerry, who drew the map in 17-whatever. And when you win elections, you get to draw the map. That's the deal. That is the deal. And My favorite is when they say things like, you know, Greg Abbott or Ted Cruz wouldn't win if it were, if Texas weren't gerrymandered. And I'm like, you know, that's a statewide <laughs> office. You can't just, what are they, unless you change the border of Texas, there's no way to gerrymander You're a statewide. You're going to go back to 1836 to change, the, yeah. change those lines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, well, exactly. they were even even different back then. Well, it's, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, that, the gender-affirming care, the, the the voter suppression, they're intentionally using those the, those terms uh, to push to push that narrative with no evidence. Like, mm -hmm. there's no evidence. There's absolutely no evidence. The, the Texas Tribune was the worst offender. Every single article that they wrote about had this voter suppression language without ever backing it up, ever showing any evidence that there was any, uh, you know, concerted effort to suppress votes in Texas. It's it's and and you talk about the Tribune, and I don't want to get off on the Tribune, but but there are these just outright lies. Mm -hmm. So the Tribune put out a story in 2019, I think, and we were uh, working on CRT, we were working on privacy, we were working on a number of bills. And the story was that these bills were always voted on in the middle of the night so that Texans wouldn't know about them. So me, I march over to 10th and Congress, I show them the postings on the bills. Mm -hmm. The hearing began at 8 a.m., all these accommodations were made so hundreds of people yeah. could testify. It was the gun laws as well. Mm. Hundreds of people could testify. And it's an amazing process. And the people were polite throughout the day. And mm -hmm. no, you've seen these drills. Yeah. And the only reason it goes to the night is because so many people spoke on it. Right? And, so, and if they didn't have that process, they would claim, oh, you're not letting the people weigh in on these issues. You exactly. Know? And the answer that I got was essentially fake, but, fake but accurate. But my point was right. My point was right. Oh, yeah. So no, no rollback, no recension. I'm mm -hmm. there. I'm there with the truth. 
uh, and I know you've done that a lot too. I just want to well, hear. That's, and that's true Go too. Ahead. I mean, the thing that we talk about is, you know, is context, right? I mean, it's not just that they're lying about it or that, you know, they, they weren't necessarily lying about it because maybe the vote happened at 10 p.m. or 8 p.m., <laughs> but the context matters. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the facts that, that led to that matter, right? And this is the, you know, not to jump, uh, open up a whole can of worms here, but this ridiculous water break story <laughs> that every, oh, yeah. literally every outlet. Just say and, what the story is so people yeah, the, know. the story is is that you know we've got the so-called Death Star bill, which mm-hmm. which was just supposed to streamline regulations throughout the state, which means that that you know municipalities can't have vastly different types of rules mm-hmm. uh, throughout the state. Well, they're combing through all of the different things that this would. Um, the left is combing through all the different things that that this would uh, that this would govern, and they've decided that oh well, if you have a water break ordinance like a like a requirement that you know if you're on a construction job you have to give a water break every four hours or something like that, that the state could preempt that rule, that the state could come in based on this law and invalidate all of, you know, your water break rules. So that means that, you know, Governor Abbott is eliminating water breaks for people and everyone's going to die and, you know, all of this crazy language. The, the point is every single outlet, I mean, this is this crazy story. I mean, it's just, it's, it's mm-hmm. totally insane. And every single outlet has picked up on it multiple times. The Dallas Morning News and the Houston Chronicle have all written editorials about it and this and the story is complete nonsense all right the two facts are true one no there that there's only two state cities in the entire state that have ever had these water break ordinances 93 percent of the state of the population of texas is to this day not covered under a water break ordinance and yet in the city of houston the city of san antonio they have construction that goes on there mm-hmm. where are all these people that are dropping dead because employers are not allowing uh them to have water breaks um so the, the story is completely concocted there's no evidence that this even goes on at all there's not we asked the city of austin who has a water break ordinance have you ever enforced this have you ever ha- you know gone in and find anybody or even investigated or has there even been an allegation <laughs> give us anything that 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 shows that this that water break ordinance is necessary they they sent us 9000 pages and didn't cite a single example of anything uh, proving that this is a problem anywhere in the city much less uh, anywhere in the state my point is every single meet it's a completely concocted ridiculous absurd story every single uh, outlet has picked up on this and and it's because, again, it's all in furtherance of trying to make, you know, Republican and conservative lawmakers look bad. And and they, they do not hold themselves accountable. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the, the uh, Houston Chronicle story about voter so-called voter suppression, mm-hmm. they said that we would lose $31 billion from companies not coming here and a half a million jobs. On the trans bill, we were... Uh, we were threatened with a similar thing. You're going to lose billions of dollars, lose your travel. Your p- no people won't come tra- in. Yeah. And we just yeah. saw this great poll that came out by Crosswinds where almost 60% of the country thinks Texas is great. 70% of the country thinks it's a great place to go mm-hmm. on vacation. So at least outside the state... This, this kind of stuff is not selling, and no yeah. one ever holds them accountable. No one ever comes mm-hmm. back and says, you know, we passed that, those voter reforms, yeah. voter mm-hmm. reforms, and nothing bad happened. And something I'd like to, to throw in there is I believe last I saw, Texas has about 50 of the Fortune 500 companies in the world. So 10% of Fortune 500 companies are based in Texas. Mm. I would say that they're they're loving Texas, as a yeah. matter of fact. And then something else I'd like to, to add a little, you know, more color to what Brian just said. That bill doesn't go into effect until September first, 
So yeah. even still, <laughs> yeah, it, like it's not even it's, policy, it's yet. Not even policy yet. And, um, people are dying and what's from more, it. they seem to think that for some reason, all these businesses, all these construction companies are going to be incentivized to suddenly be like, "Sorry, guys, the state says no more water for you. You're just going to have to go the entire day without drinking." Who is going to do that? Every construction <laughs> company wants their employees to be healthy, live, be, live, <laughs> be successful. You know, they want they want this done. So yeah. it's just a complete farce. It's 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 totally wacky. I think they don't know us, and I want to talk about that mm-hmm. again. But you know, you all started talking about racism, and you, remember we had a little snafu or a little. Uh, story thing of uh, suggesting that the textbooks were going to call slavery involunt- moved involuntarily. Yeah, right. And uh, it was in a section called slavery. And it was a proposal by a volunteer. But I, f- and anyone who reads what we teach in Texas about slavery, Reconstruction, the Jim Crow era, the Civil Rights era, Mm-hmm. knows no punches are being pulled mm-hmm. right every story is being told but i don't know if they think and we i suspect in this building probably know more about the history of of uh, slavery than anybody in the press corps mm-hmm. i i think they just don't know who conservatives are that's a, and that's part of why they get it's a really wrong. good point um it's also it also has to do with you know we we fight the crt in DEI as well, right. because because the basis for that philosophy is that all of America's institutions are are irredeemably racist, mm-hmm. and so when you start with that philosophy, that's what you're looking for constantly. You're not looking for the you're not looking to get the the story or you know what the the two legitimate concerns are and and what the policy disagreements are about. You're just looking for racism because you've been taught that racism is everywhere. They literally says. In some of the the early books by Kendi and all of those, it's literally it's like air. Racism is like air. It's literally everywhere. And so, if that's your philosophy and that's your worldview, then then that is a story. Just go out and find it. But of course, you know, a lot of it is is, is dog whistle stuff, and you have to like you know really search, and then they have to you know connect the dots for you on on what is and what is not racist. But I think that's part of it is that it's not just that they don't know us; it's that they come from such a um, such a backwards uh, negative worldview because they've been told or they've been taught that the whole world is racist. You just have to go out there and expose it and find it. I know. We've got to stop them teaching that. The mm-hmm. DEI, uh, you know, I worked, did a lot of work on DEI, and the DEI officers, higher ed officers of America, this is what they say their mission is to inculcate alternative narratives in the curriculum and provide robust opportunities on the history of racism, colonization, and conquest, and how higher education and other sectors of society are complicit in maintaining systems of white privilege. That's what they say their mission is. Let me tell you what the Texas Tribune says their mission is. DEI offices have become a mainstay on college and university campuses across the country. These offices coordinate mentorships, tutoring, and programs to boost people from underrepresented groups in fields like science and engineering. They help departments cast a wide net when searching for job candidates and ensure that universities don't violate federal discrimination laws. I don't know who told her that. All you have to do is get, uh, Google DEI officers in higher ed to find out what their mission is. Mm-hmm. 
so you know there they are they're they're not accountable i've of course told her a hundred yeah. times that's what they do well it sounds like they're um as i guess president bush has said they're they're uh judging everyone else by their worst examples while judging themselves by their best intentions i mean oh, diversity equity, right. inclusion sounds on its face like it's it's going to do good things but you know you've dug into this is more than anybody here at tppf it does the exact opposite it does not advocate for diversity of thought or inclusion of anyone other than their their archetype person um and you know it's it's actually the antithesis of what uh, uh dr king sought where you judge people by the content of their character and not the color of their skin i mean it is quite literally judging people by the color of their skin uh, whether they're white or black or, or whatever and and saying okay these people need to be in this group and these people need to be in that group mm-hmm. it's horrid yeah, yeah. You, they're they're covering Right. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're, they're covering for the truth, which is, you know, this was a philosophy. This was an approach. This was maybe controversial. Maybe it was, you know, something for faculty lounges at universities at one time. Um, and so they were proud to write mm-hmm. it. You know, they were proud to write it the way and, and publicly talk about it the way that you explained it, you know, right there on the website, right there in the materials and the PowerPoints. They're, they This is exactly what they wanted to do uh, um, and, and the way that they wanted to teach it, the way they wanted to explain it to other teachers on how to you know on how the world works and how everything is is irredeemably racist and they want people to see it that way they were they were excited about the fact that you know they were they were teaching it uh, this way to people but when it turns out that once it was exposed and the chris rufos of the world are putting these powerpoints out there for for the average person to see white black hispanic or whoever turns out the public doesn't believe that the public doesn't believe that at all. And, then, and instead of them being proud of it and saying, okay, now we're having a discussion about my philosophy and about my approach to, to the way the world works, I'm going to go out there and defend it. I'm going to go to folks who oppose me and I'm going to vigorously you know, fight for, for what I believe. The media is now covering it up for them. And they're saying, right, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, we can't, yeah, hey guys, we can't talk about it that way. This is really just about recruitment. You know, We don't have enough African Americans and Hispanics in science class. So right. we're just going to go out. What, what DEI really is is just getting more you know people of color in science class and it's and and the and that it, you know that's a flag that that is a telltale sign that they are in, that they know that this philosophy that they have that this worldview that they have is not accepted by the vast majority of Americans uh, which frankly is not only fantastic to learn but also really fuels this effort this movement that conservatives have waving across the country to end these programs and to stand on firm ground knowing that you know the vast majority of Texans uh, support them in these efforts to get rid of these programs. It just, it doesn't ring true. I mean, it was the crazy story we had a couple of weeks ago, which we had at this time uh, last year when I wrote about it, where CNBC pronounces Texas one of the worst states to live at in the country after, for years, we were number one, more than anyone else. And then they started adding voter suppression and inclusion and all this woke stuff, and then they moved us to the bottom of the list. But it doesn't ring true text it just yeah. doesn't ring true for texans i noticed that they've generally failed to, to point to an example of voter suppression mm-hmm. by and large you know it's 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 out there but not a single not seeing example. it just yeah. not seeing it but what do we want i mean <clears throat> i i i don't think i mean i think when i talk to reporters i think they believe that i am asking them for a positive story i'm not asking for a positive story I don't know what you think or what you think, but I'm just asking 
you know, for a real story. Yeah, I, I, and it goes back to what, you know, I was arguing for 10 years ago with reporters on Capitol Hill is I just want you to get our side right. Mm-hmm. Like, d- don't don't paraphrase us. Don't assign ulterior motives or, you know, nefarious reasons for what we're doing uh, to it or, or connect it to racism. Just hear the story, hear our framing, understand the way that we see the world and why we would support, legitimately support these policies and just tell that story and get it right so that the public can see, honestly can see both sides of, of the story and then determine for themselves with the full context um, uh, of things whether or not you know they support our position or they support the other. Yeah. I mean, that's what I want for the media. That's not ultimately what I want. I mean, I think I think we're past that. I think I think I don't think that that exists anymore. That that's a thing, which is a lot of why I don't call reporters anymore. I know that's kind of a, a hobby of yours um, that you enjoy, but I used to enjoy it. But 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 I don't find that it is it is particularly uh, helpful. I don't I don't. You might see it in a story here, or a story there. You might you might see um, you know reporters at least trying, but they also have editors, and you know maybe those stories don't get enough clicks, and so they have to. You know, uh, go back to their their old ways, and so you know our solution. A lot of times, we can get this later, but um, our solution a lot of times is just go directly to the people, build your own infrastructure. I mean, that's really my message to conservative warriors out there and others who are who have you know organizations and they're trying to get the word out. Instead of playing mother may I with the press that is hostile to your worldview, mm-hmm. just create your own infrastructure. The the internet and social media and other various platforms make it really easy nowadays and cheap and effective to go and build your own audiences. It's it's been a, a long time tradition. I th- I uh, I had uh, Ryan Gravatt on the podcast last week, and he he was with Governor Perry uh, when he decided not to go to the editorial boards, mm-hmm. just to ignore the editorial mm-hmm. boards, and that was just considered outrageous at the time. But it it never ceases. I guess I keep calling because I, I can't believe they won't see the obvious. Mm-hmm. I was with... Uh, Glutton for punishment, I, I was I was with uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick last summer when he was campaigning, and we were down in South Texas. And uh, the Dallas Morning News, when Governor Patrick was campaigning, he was only talking to local media. And that was really great fun because he would hold a press conference every afternoon. Half a dozen cameras would come in, McAllen, Brownsville, mm-hmm. different places, mm-hmm. ask him questions about all kinds of issues. Remember, we had the Dobbs ruling. We had Uvalde. We had a lot of very hot issues. Those reporters asked those questions. The stories coming out of Austin was, you know, nobody knows where Patrick is. He's not talking to the media. Why is he dodging the press? And a Dallas Morning News reporter actually goes into a meeting, and this was like the most amazing meeting I'd ever seen, because it was the Hidalgo County Republican Party, big evening meeting. You know, Lieutenant Governor was going to speak there, but the main speaker was uh, former state senator Eddie Lucio Jr., who was a Democrat. Mm -hmm. Big story right there, wouldn't you think, Brian? Big story. I would assume. He walks in, Lucio gives the best speech I'd ever heard Lucio give, announcing his support for the lieutenant governor. Dallas Morning News reporter is sitting there because he's determined that he's going to get the lieutenant governor to ask the question. Lieutenant governor won't respond to him. He does not talk to anybody else in the room about what they think about having this 30-year Democrat at a Republican meeting. Mm Mm-hmm. 
The New York Times was there. They talked to everybody. They wrote the story. Yeah. And I think it's just this anti-Texas bias that for the New York Times, they, we're like aliens from outer space. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to see that story. They're interested. <laughs> and it's just so disappointing to me that they don't have more interest. I, how many reporters do you think read uh, our stuff, the canon online? Because I'm telling them all the time, if you're not watching Fox News and you're trying to cover Texas politics, what are you thinking? I mean, even if you just want to see Chuck. We know. But <laughs> <laughs> we know. I mean, and it, it for our purposes, I mean, we have a fairly sophisticated operation, if I do say so myself. <laughs> um, and, and we know that, that um, not print reporters necessarily, um, but a lot of radio producers, a lot of TV producers yeah. uh, will read what we're talking about every day because we, when we craft that product, not to sell it, you know, the shameless plug here. Right. But we craft that product to say, look, we know we, we talk about this things that are going on in the media. We talk about the big issues. We have a tone. We have an opinion. And we'll come on your show and we'll deliver entertainment for your audience by being opinionated about that. And smart. Um, yeah. And and so we do get a lot. I mean, I, I laugh. You know, we have dialed back our aggressive pitch to earn media. Like we, you know, three years ago, we would, you know, write press releases almost every day and we would call reporters and we would try to get in stories. And, you know, we just ended up playing Mother May I too much and it was a lot of work and we didn't get a lot of... Uh, um, we didn't get a lot of bang for our buck. We dialed it all back and started doing other things to get our name out there. We actually get more earned media now, thousands more hits every year than we did two or three years ago when mm-hmm. we had an aggressive press operation. Simply because we are part of the, you know, the the not necessarily the story, but we have this opinion. We have the research. You know, we're out there on the radio and and and, and doing TV spots, and so we get more earned media now as a result of 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 the fact that we're you know in. Influencing Texans around the around the state with our research and our direct contact to them, so that if you want the conservative opinion uh, and the Dan Patrick's of the world won't talk to the media, they'll come to us and mm-hmm. and and we'll we'll set them straight. And that has uh, elevated our profile by the negative characterizations that we sometimes get. Sure, in we, the, we in love the a left good wing, hit piece now. In, in the left wing news, it's 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 really it's really helpful. If you were going to walk by, uh, walk back across the street to the Republican Party of Texas today, Sam, what would Ooh. you tell them? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> about this or about, yeah. about this? I mean, we've all got a lot of messages we want to deliver, but let's just talk comms there. I mean, that's a tough question. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm still pretty, pretty hopelessly optimistic in, I guess, kind of like you, hoping that the media is going to be a little more reasonable. You know, I still want them, and I, I don't know their operation now, but I want them to, to call these reporters regularly and give background on all of these issues so that they were injecting the the conservative perspective. So at least they they understand where we're coming from, even if they don't really write about it. At least they understand, okay, well, they're not really just malicious. They believe it because of X, Y, Z. Because right now, I, I, I genuinely think a lot of reporters believe that everything conservatives do is out of malice. They think it, it's all terrible, which... Again, like Brian mentioned earlier, they're just not taking the time to understand where we're coming from. It, in, and that that lineage, I was talking, you know, I was a comms director over at the, at the GOP coming after, you know, Karl Rove and Karen Hughes mm-hmm. and that before the takeover. And that's what they did. They got up every morning, called reporters, and made fun of Democrats. That's how we were able to 
to take over. You know, we, Republicans have only had power in Texas since 2002. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting, and yeah. uh, it's, it's, a, it's another strategy. But I think that what we're doing here at TPPF, which is just being relentlessly focused on the facts, mm-hmm. often, sometimes, whether we like them or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would, we do a, a media consumption survey at the beginning of every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we understand, because we spend a lot of money on advertising and things like that, and I want to make sure that people are where we're directing our dollars, right? Mm-hmm. That there's going to be eyeballs there. Um, and so we do media consumption at the beginning of the year. And the reality is, is, you know, the, as, as, a, as a medium, the print and reading news, reading about news is really sort of a dying, um, uh, yeah. you know, is, is sort of dying. I mean, the, the, most people are getting their information, new information about what's going on in their communities and their states from television, from right. local television is, is still continues to be king. Um, and so, you know, what I would, you know, for our operation, we do focus on, on you know, folks in the media who work at the local news stations, local TV news stations. And we do, you know, we try to say yes to every single um, uh, request that comes in from them. But trying, you know, but going out to the newspapers and going out to, you know, some of these, it's just not worth it. And so if you're going to, and so how do you spend your time and effort? I would say about 20% try to get on local TV as much as possible and 80% go around the media. You have to build your own audiences. Um, You know, for a statewide political operation, you need to have you know, probably four or five, maybe 10 million people on a list at some point, you know, so, so that you can communicate directly um, either through the various platforms, through social media platforms, or having an email list. Um, you have to go directly to the people and you have to provide them with value. It can't just be on a list and say, you know, it can't be a solicitation every single day or, you know, or, or some random email that comes in every two weeks or so. You have to be consistent with it. But build your own operation uh, such that you're communicating directly with the people because that's really the leverage the media has. They've built their infrastructure to communicate directly with the people. And if you're not getting your position through or you have to work like hell to get them to understand this information and you're not getting much bang out of the uh, bang for your buck, then you then you need to build your own. And I know that's very difficult for a lot of smaller organizations or, you know, like the TFRWs of the world and, and all of that. Um, but but that but that's really the answer. For me, that's the answer is that you have to do that. Otherwise, you're going to spend a lot of time and effort trying to build these relationships or or teach people about how the issues work, and you're not going to get much from it uh, in the end. And I think the other piece that kind of goes without saying, and it's why the work that we do is so powerful, and the distinction I would draw between us and the media, is we know conservatives and we listen to conservatives. We know what issues the people of Texas think of are important mm-hmm. we, because we've been listening to them for 25 years or long, <laughs> long, long time. And uh, I only hope, in closing out, that uh, my old friends in the media would realize how interesting we are. <laughs> How much fun it is to be in the conservative conversations. The, the work that we do at TPPF, you know, our policy summits, our victory summits, the conversations that we have with some of the most brilliant people on the planet, uh, you know, it's, it's not like it would be boring if they decided to cover <laughs> the Texas conservative majority. Guys, thank you for coming downstairs and uh, joining me on Ninth in Congress today. A lot of fun. Thanks uh, for having us. And thank you all for joining us. 
You can find Ninth in Congress on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive the Ninth in Congress newsletter, you can sign up at the TPPF website, www.texaspolicy.com slash Ninth in Congress. <laughs>